the village dell on the evenside coast, outside Kindhirak. Adnan made no sound as he slurped down a bowl of fish stew, slithered his way into sealskin trousers and boots, and slipped a grass poncho over his vest, careful not to wake his father and grandmother sleeping by the fire. Grandson, is that you? Atnan clapped his chest five times in a rhythm they both knew. Two beats and then three. A-T-N-A-N. His grandmother rolled over on her mat. What a wretched curiosity I am. Whoever heard of a scribe and a mute in one body, whose life is words and letters never uttered? At times he could produce a faint sound, a sigh, a grunt, even a rumbling growl when in distress. But somewhere between his innards and his lips, words always lost their way. Sometimes he imagined them wandering around inside him, hopelessly lost, as though he were a skin bag filled with unspeakable things. Taking his floppy sealskin hat on the way out, he tapped each arm of a dried starfish affixed to the side, reciting to himself the names of the five great spirits. Mem, Nan, Lom, Rish, Lear, Verity, Harmony, Dignity, Equity, Mystery. He ought to have said the names aloud. Instead he pictured each spirit's associated rune. The five would still bring him a good catch even so. Outside the frosty ground twinkled. He tipped his grandfather's little round boat away from the stone house, then tossed his nets and a paddle inside. It was small for a boat but enormous for a turtle shell. He imagined the beast roiling the waters of the inlet, sucking down fish by the basketful. That was long before he was born. All that remained of them now were a few claw knives and shell boats like this one, and the sentimental stories of the elders. His father Omric waxed eloquent about the elder days whenever anyone would listen, but Atnan could muster no emotion for the loss of things he had never known. He loved the old stories, memorised more than a few, but his appreciation rested on the words and forms themselves, not what they referred to. Stories are meant for the tellers and the listeners, not the ones in the text. Boat slung over his back, he picked down the rocky path toward the shore. Arthritic flames now smouldered in his father's bones, so the responsibility of the household catch fell to Atnan alone. Uncles and cousins might have helped him shoulder the burden, but he and his father were the only two men of the Owl Clan left in the village of Dell. Through the mist, he identified the outline of a huge otter bear loitering near the water. Mahutra Shen, she ought to be off swimming in the river in the sky by now, but then winter has been mild. Bearing no offering, he approached with caution. Shen was benevolent, but no more predictable than the sea. Always been here, always will, the fisherman said. They called the nearby waters Shen's Inlet and thanked her daily for allowing them to stay. His grandmother told how every winter Shen joined the animal stewards of other locales to procure the blessings of the ancestors in exchange for news of the village. Facing Shen, his friend Balas leaned on an ornate wooden boat. Despite the cold, he was barefooted and wore a vest with no sleeves. The otter bear towered over him with her head tilted, her bushy white brows curtaining her blunt, whiskered face. He tossed a fish in the air, and she snagged it mid-flight. His friend's posture and gesticulations reminded Atnan of the first rune in his name, Ban. Everything appeared this way to him, as signs and symbols. How else should a scribe see the world? If something can't be put into signs, is it even real? Barlas inquired about good fishing and the speed of the current, while Shen ululated in reply. The lanky fisherman pivoted toward Atnan as he arrived. Ho there, inky fingers! Thought you gave up fishing, eh? Atnan shrugged. Shen flopped on her side, bulk supported on one massive oar-shaped paw while scratching her throat with the other. With a snort and a foggy snuffle, she rolled over, shook herself, 
and loped into the surf, ottering out of view. Trial's tomorrow in it. You ready? Atnan touched fingertips to lips, then moved the same hand as though throwing something away, meaning there was nothing to say. His readiness hardly mattered. Barlas threw some crumbs to a congregation of gulls nattering around the beach. Filthy beggars! Sea rats! Atnan gestured toward the sun, already high in the sky, then toward Barlas. Now you're the late one. I've been out and back twice already, eh? Barlas attached a weight to one of his nets. You hear young Dub's gone up coast. Few days back. Old Dub's not happy about it either. Two-man rig, eh? Were he able, Atnan would proclaim that old Dub and happiness were mortal enemies. The news about young Dub? Hardly surprising. Most young men in those parts left if they could, up coast to the trading villages, or down coast to better fishing, and a better supply of marriageable women. Atnan made a quizzical gesture toward Balas, then swept his hands up coast. Me? He fumbled one of his weights. Oh, I've thought about it once and again. Foundlings always get sold up somewhere, I reckon, and here's better than most, eh? The fact that Balas was not a son of Del often escaped Atnan's memory. To be fair, it all happened the winter before Atnan was born. Traders arrived from up coast, with a wavy-haired boy already six or seven winters old. They didn't know exactly. Lairam, the village headman, and his wife Batalia took him in. Not quite parents, not quite masters. He grew taller and broader than anyone in the village, and much to everyone's disappointment, not least his own, no beard sprouted from his chin. Bala stared out to where grey water met grey sky. The surf rolled and seabirds yammered in the distance. No place for me but here, anyhow. He kicked the boat. Had my way, this be my boat. I'm the only one as ever uses it. I go home to my own house, cook my own dinner and sleep in my own bed by my own self. After a moment he burst out. Nah, there'd be a wife too, and as many little barlasses as we can manage. Let em run wild, like animals. He resumed his work. I'd go cry in the ocean if it weren't already full, eh? Small talk was something at Nan avoided in general, but fishing patter chafed the most. In his professional opinion, words were tools to be treated with respect, their proper functions preserved, their syntax left unmolested. Nor could he participate, which only deepened his umbrage. How about you? Gonna up and leave me too? Atnan waved his hands dismissively. Someday, Someday perhaps, perhaps, when, when father and old mother are secure in the silent lands. lands. Barlas tossed his last net into the boat. Hey, let's get fishing. Tomorrow don't come till tomorrow, eh? They cast off, each the pilot of an older man's boat, faithfully following in the paths of their ancestors. Yet no matter how many times you paddle the same course, it never makes a path. Lines inscribed on water are always washed away. Soon, Atnan forgot about everything but the work itself, spinning nets over grey-green water, rhythmic dance-like. Again and again, the nets emerged, sometimes empty, sometimes flashing silver with fish. He made an honest effort and ended the day with some to eat, some to share with the village, and maybe a little to salt away for trade. His father would be happy about that. That evening, Atnan sat cross-legged beside the fire with a beeswax slate askew on his lap. Across the single room, his grandmother Henemis pulled knits from a bearskin with a stingray barb, humming to herself. His father huddled by the fire, a rough blanket clutched around his shoulders with one hand, poking at the fire with the other. Sparks shimmied up through the smoke hole in the roof. Making fireflies? Henemis asked. A drop of mist coalesced and fell hissing into the fire. Not tonight. Atnan tried to ignore them. 
concentrating instead on the preparation of his ceremonial oar. That summer, his father had stripped a branch of driftwood and tapered it into a long flare. He rubbed it smooth with sand and powdered shells, then carved an owl into the handle to honour their family name, Aya. In truth, his father was more a woodcarver than a proper scribe, there being so little sheetwork required in their tiny village. All that remained to finish the oar was to carve his name into the handle along with a short dedication of his own composition. This was the difficulty. Over many months he had shaped the text, first only a vapour, then something like a liquid, now impressed into the slate, solid but still malleable. Soon it would be in the wood, permanent, affixed, every word are both a commitment and an admission that none better could be found. Enough dithering, his father said. You must finish tonight. No text, no awe, no awe, no ceremony, no anything. Atnan doubled over his work. Your arm is as long as a river, Henemis sang, but your desires remain out of reach. Listen to your old mother. Omric gestured to the slate. This is good enough. Oh, I'm the best listener in this house. The whole village, even. But you, dear father, might be the worst. Taking a flint-tipped gouge, Atnan hunched over the oar and began transferring his text from wax to wood. The blade ploughed straight furrows of fire and runes, starting at the owl's head and spiralling down the handle. His focus narrowed to the tiny point where the tip met wood. The lighter grain was softer than the dark. The force of his hand on the gouge adjusted instinctually to keep the lines straight. He had first learned to write thirteen winters before, when his father named each rune and scraped its image into the dirt with a stick. An errand took his father away, but Atnan remained, tracing each outline with a chubby finger as though digging a tiny canal. Each letter had a personality. Replicating it meant honouring its spirit, each line a limb that must be straight, each crook an organ that must be bent just so, or else he would leave the spirit's avatar deformed, desecrated. This was a peculiar way to look at the world he knew. Then again, most people made no sense to him. Why should he make any sense to them? The symmetry satisfied him. Finished, Atnan handed the oar to his father for inspection. Omric ran his fingers over the writing. Cuts deep and straight, runes small but clear. He set it on the floor beside Atnan's bed mat. Done, and cut in a finer hand than any I've seen, including my own. Atnan looked away. So it is. You'll make a fine scribe, Atnan. You already are a fine scribe. Better than I was at your age. Better than I am now by most measures, barring good sense. Henemis scoffed. It was about time for the nightly argument, Atnan figured. He had become inured to their sniping, always circling the same issues. No one dared say aloud that Atnan's existence had killed his mother. He can't speak of it or because of it, his grandmother would often say, and neither should we. Omric ignored her, turning to Atnan. Son, you are the sort who cures their thirst a drop at a time. He unrolled his bed mat on the floor. Drain the sea, and you'll still be thirsty. You expect too much of yourself, and others. Ah, a lecture. Only a half-stroke less obnoxious than an argument, especially at bedtime. Adnan's attention wandered to a beetle crawling across the floor. Before his father could flick it into the fire, Adnan intervened by guiding it onto his finger. As he set the little creature behind a stone outside, he envisioned it as the word Zarg, beetle, as though the word itself were also an awkward many-legged body. Returning through the heavy door flap, he was regaled by his father's cheerful voice. You'll be the only one this year. Atnan frowned. At the ceremony, I'd say that makes you highly favoured. This is a long year, you know, 
13 moons, not 12. Dark day falls on the 13th day, at the full moon's widest face. Omric paused. It's the 13th year of Shenefret's reign in Nepsilam as well. He turned his head and spat into the fire. Not as that matters, the swine. Atnan did not share his father's political discontents, which arose mostly from familial shame that Omric bore heavily. And Atnan not at all. One of Omric's forebears was a soldier from the seven cities of Kindhirak, who impregnated a local woman before disappearing. Back then, a garrison was stationed in Dell to ensure the tributes and to keep the locals in line. But these days, the only imperial official in the village was Omric. His only duty to take a census every other year and deliver the head tax to the city of Gwetlak. This duty had been neglected for as long as Atnan could remember. Thirteenth day of the thirteenth month on a full moon. I've seen this day coming for quite some time. Atnan stiffened, eyes wide. His father knew full well that forecasting was forbidden. Oh yes, Omric's voice rose. The decrees of Kind here may keep a man from speaking to the dead. They can block the altars and let no one cast stones or pull the guts of a whale. But let them try to keep me from looking to the sky. I make the tables of months and I count the days. And I've counted your days from the very first. His voice returned to normal volume. That's all I meant. Atnan moved his oar aside, scrutinised its position, moved it again, and finally unrolled his bedmat. Omric untied his beard and began a vigorous scratching from ear to throat. Traditional fire and beards had gone out of fashion, but his father took great pride in wearing the ancestral whiskers, two long forks larded and tied at the ends with no moustache. Atnan's chin sported a few stray hairs. Tomorrow might make him an adult in the eyes of the village, but not to look at him. You don't appreciate the old ways, son. Things are as they are, and there are reasons for it. Some reasons may be difficult to understand, but none of us is born into an empty world. The ancestors laid the path for us to walk. Atnan folded down his blankets and positioned a bundle of canes to rest his neck. Omric pointed to the oar. This, this is a sacred thing. Setting her work aside, Henemis sang, In a noisy world a quiet man stands apart. Oblivious, Omric continued. You know what they call us, upcountry? Scratchers? On account of these runes? More admission than insult, I'd say. Imperial letters are intentionally overcomplicated. Want to write your own name? You'll need to hire a scribe. Bah! I tell you, the simple way is the best way. The firing way. Henemus yawned, louder than was strictly necessary. Finally taking the hint, Omric took a handful of dried herbs from a box near his feet and threw them sparkling into the fire. Atnan pulled a round clay flute from behind his bed mat. He might not be able to sing the night songs, but it comforted him to be able to play along. Let the sun deer leap, Omric sang. From the mountains to the bay, Henemus sang back. Let the moon wolf chase behind, and never catch her prey. Together they finished. Let us follow the five, as night follows day. Atnan tucked the flute back into place and slipped beneath the blankets, catching a glimpse of his father and grandmother for a brief moment before closing his eyes. In a noisy world, a quiet man stands apart.